Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of Alpine Worlds, the four season mountain show podcast. I'm Matthias Weger and today I'm here with my brother Jakob. Exactly. And today we're going to talk about our story, how yeah, we switched from being professional kayakers to, to multi-sport athletes and how we can live from it now. Exactly. And also how we managed to win the GoPro Million Dollar Challenge multiple times and on how we managed to grow our Instagram channel and which role this played in our past and which role it might play or also not play in our future. All right, three, two, one, drop in. I think we can just jump straight into it. Um, I'm Matthias, I'm 28 years old and I was born in Murano, same as Jakob. And I guess for me, I think everything started with our parents, which um, obviously, <laughs> which uh, were quite a lot into mountain sports, but especially into kayaking a lot. Yeah, especially our dad was super fanatic about kayaking. He still is. And obviously he put us straight into a kayak when we were about two or three years old. And we immediately started to paddle around in our swimming pool. We were super lucky to have a little swimming pool at home. And yeah, I think uh, from there we, we started to, to practice sports. And uh, I think that's the point where everything started. Yeah, exactly. I guess... I can't really remember, but from what they tell us, and I can really imagine our dad was always paddling and we were just standing on the bank. We couldn't even swim and we just really wanted to do the same thing as, as dad did. So I think it was, we were, oh, I was less than three years old and I, I had the, the floaties on, on my arms to, to swim in the pool and, and was still paddling around in my kayak. With the floaties and then um yes i guess as we got older i think i was always pretty competitive and so as soon as i had the age that i was actually allowed to compete at the first races i got quite into it and already like with six seven years i did my first um national competitions um you were obviously uh, two years younger and <laughs> yeah, I was not so into the competition game. Um, I remember I was always um, scared of competitions and I was also not the guy who wants to get teached by someone. So our dad often tried to, to teach me how to kayak or on some specific technique stuff and I always hated it. So I was mostly paddling around with my mom. Um, because she was super chilled in that at, on on that point, and yeah, so I got into competitions a little bit later. I think I was about 12, 13 years old when I, yeah, maybe maybe ten, ten to twelve, I did my first competitions, and yeah, as I said, I was always super scared. It was not such a nice feeling for me to compete, but still, I somehow wanted to do it because. Yeah, obviously starting with three years to kayak, I was quite good at it. I was usually better than than the others at, at, at my age. And therefore, yeah, I was still stoked to do some comps sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I think that was quite an interesting thing as well for me, like starting that early and um, training way. I mean, yeah, you can't say training, even though I was like super a kid um, but training way more and way harder than all the others I think I was just in the position where I pretty much won every race and then once I got a bit older like 12 13 um, yeah the others um, stepped up and it was the first times that I couldn't win every race and I think that was you know, as a kid, also a bit of a learning process, like, oh, what's going on? Like, I'm, I'm not the best one anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't know. How, how was it for you? Like, how, how did you got into racing? I mean, how or when was the step where you said, like, yeah, now I, I really want to train and I want to compete. I want to compete, compete against others and I want to be 
I want to measure myself against others. I guess that's the whole point of it. I think I was like 14 or 15 years old uh, when I really decided to to train professionally, like two times a day, and with a yeah with a concrete training plan and and and, and everything. So. Yeah, that was a huge uh, step up for me in my performance as well. Like I immediately um, felt that after one year of training like a, like a pro, I yeah I progressed a lot, and I think that was the point where I really got into the kayak game, and I also got into the Italian national team. So was there? There was probably a year where we both were in the Italian national team together oh there were a few years i guess like at least in in the younger years um yeah i think there was there was some yeah sure we were in skopje where you became european champion like your first year in the national team you have been 15 i guess and you won the under 18 european championship um and i think i was even in the same category yeah i think it was i said yeah true true we did some some races together but then the yeah, your your switch came. Like uh, you switched to Austria. Um, how did that happen? Yeah, so f um, I guess there were a couple of reasons, but um, it was in the years I was yeah just a bit younger than eighteen, and our parents brought us to the mountains early on. Um, but back then we were never that stoked to walk <laughs> and go up there. Um, but somehow, you know, growing up in Murano and, and having the mountains around, I think um, it was just, uh, yeah, natural progress that we felt connected to the mountains and we have always been out there in the past. Um, and yeah, exactly in those years, I started to get that passion back a little bit and I, I really, I really liked going to the mountains. Um and that was not something which the national team was super happy about because their idea um i guess was always that you train um your sport like you go to the gym or you go kayaking or maybe running um and then you rest you stay in the room you chill you hang out and then you train again yeah, and also everything we did in the mountains for them felt like a huge risk of getting hurt or yeah, getting injured. And that would be a big lose for them if they would invest in, in you as an athlete, uh, their time and their money. And then maybe you, you break your leg and you cannot kayak for half a year. And so they really didn't like it. Exactly. Um, yeah, that was like... I think the base for it and then this one thing came up where um, the Italian national there was actually a under 18 world championship in Penrith in Australia and at that time I, I think I had the best points or was the best in the Italian under 18 team um, but yeah somehow I mean I think also living in South Tyrol might make a difference like being a bit different, speaking a different language and, and not um, being super deep in, into the into the um, uh, national team and all the politics around and stuff. They didn't really support it that, that, that much. And so there was this one decision where they said, well, they cannot take only the second best and the third best one, but they also don't want to take me to Australia. So they just decided that they would not take... Uh, K1 man under 18 team. Um, so, and and that obviously was super hard for me because I, I, I was training the whole time super hard and preparing myself and really looking forward to to this world championship. And I think I had pretty good chances, like you never know, but I think if, it, if I would have had a good race, I could have totally made it into the podium positions. And then I knew Mario and Felix uh, too, the two boys in the Austrian national team, they're at about the same age to me, like one year and two years younger. And everything there seemed to be a bit more open. Um, like they would get a budget from from the team and then they could pr pretty much organize themselves 
um, however they want, like take their own hotel, take their own flights and, and not being like in such an organized um, circuit, which for me at that point sounded really nice because, um, yeah, I, I wanted to do my things and organize myself. While obviously the other system being super team orientated is very nice when you're super into it and, and really want to wanna live that life that because then you're always together, you're eating together, you're living together and it's a real team. Um, but yeah, then I, I did that step and I switched to Austria. Yeah, I remember I was a bit jealous about you, um, seeing you having a really good time with the Austrian team um not being kind of locked in to the system like i used to be in the italian national team i mean we had to ask if we can go out of the hotel to to buy something in the supermarket and stuff like that and you guys you were just chilling in your own airbnb and after the training you were completely free to go out to to explore to to do something to have a good time And yeah, but on the other hand, I also saw the the struggles you had um, by switching to another country, all the paperwork. I think it was a huge effort for you and also for our dad. And so I had a really good position in the Italian national team and therefore I also had some privileges. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I just said, yeah, it's better for me to stay in the Italian national team, avoid all these paperwork and stuff. And yeah, it worked quite okay for me until a certain point. Exactly. And I guess that certain point came for both of us um, by the time, like, um, yeah, we, we both started to going more and more into the mountains, uh, started to transition our preparation for the season um, from the gym and from the kayak more into ski touring, um, climbing and all that stuff, which I think for me, yeah, seems also like for you worked out really well. And I just feel um, way better mentally, but, but also I had more fun doing it. And so I was more motivated and I guess I trained way more. Yeah. I remember I... I had uh, quite strong back ages um, when I competed or when I when I kayaked, and then my trainer said that I should train my legs in the winter, because in summer there was no time for training the legs, and I was thinking like, yeah, but in the gym training legs in the gym is super boring, and so I was like, ah, I could join my parents for a ski tour, and but I was snowboarding. So I first used the snow boots to carry up the snowboard on my backpack. And then I said, um, no way I'm going to do that again. Then I bought a split board and yeah, I started to, to ski tour. And I actually found out this is actually super cool. And so I was super happy. I could train my legs and I could split board. But then this passion got always stronger. And at a certain point, I'm pretty much only split boarded during the winter when I was at home and then when I was not on a training camp, um, which still worked out really good for me. I mean, I had probably my best results during that time. I got the world champion in, at 2018. And that was exactly the time where I trained a lot in the mountains. Um, But yeah, uh, the national team really didn't like it, especially when our new head coach came, Daniel Molmenti. <laughs> he was, he's like kind of an alpha guy and he, he always wanted to, yeah, he always wanted that every athlete does exactly his training program. So it caused a lot of problems. And at that point, which uh, it's also, I guess, important to mention, we have both been um, in the military sports group. I've been in the Austrian army and that, that, that pretty much happened when I got the Austrian citizenship. Um, I realized that Austria is actually way more organized than Italy is because I got the citizenship and three days later, I got the letter from the army that I need to enter the army because it's still a mandatory army there. And, but yeah, luckily being an athlete, I could 
jump straight into the um, um, high performance sports group. And so I just had to do like one month of basic training. And after that, I was employed as an athlete. And it, which means that, that, yeah, you're paid to train and to race kayaking. <laughs> and what I did, I was racing kayaking, training, everything. <laughs> it was pretty much our job to just train and do races. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we also wanted to go to the mountains. So we trained and we did races and we went to the mountains and we reached, uh, I mean, for me, at least I, I reached a point where I was so passionate about the mountain sports that I was starting to think about, um, to quit kayak and just go to the mountains, but somehow I I knew that I'm not gonna earn any money if I quit with uh, kayaking and so I still kept on going um, but this passion was just huge and it was a very difficult time for me because my whole life was based on kayaking it was my my world and somehow this world um, seemed to be not the same as it was a few years before and somehow this world uh, started to disappear or started to lose its its impact on me. Yeah, yeah for me, I think it, I, I started to feel this one feeling where obviously um, every time you don't have a good race, I guess every athlete obviously is disappointed. I may be a guy who is a bit more, dis I'm like probably one of the guys who are slightly more disappointed, um, which is totally fine and totally normal. Um, but what really started to annoy me that when I had a good race and I won, you know, the first times I won, I was super stoked and, and that stoke held on for quite a bit. But then it came this time where when I won, I was like, hey, sweet. All right. That, that was cool. You know, like sweet. I, I did my job and it's awesome. But I. I started to lose this super crazy, you know, athlete sort of hype when I when I won something, and and that's really, I guess, um, from what the sport or from what this high performance sport lives from. Um, and yeah, I did enjoy the training and the racing for sure, but I also enjoyed all the other stuff being in the mountains and, and doing that stuff. And for me, this both worlds could only exist together. While in the eyes of um, the national team and the army, um, I mean, fair enough, they, they, they paid us to, to do this and to only do this and to perform at our best possible way. Um, this, it couldn't really exist um, side by side, like doing a lot of different sports and then also um, racing at, at this level. And yeah, then I guess for me, one really crucial moment um, was once the Austrian national team decided to have their winter training in Australia, which, yeah, seems nice. Um, it's super hot there in European winter. And how it usually works there is that you stand up before sunrise, you go training, with um with the big flashlights on and then <clears throat> you hang out in the hotel for the rest of the day rest relax because it's anyway too hot out there and then you do another training after sunset and that's about it and maybe once a week you go to the beach and that for like for a couple of months that's the classic kayak winter program exactly that's the exact lifestyle of kayakers during the winter like super professional kayakers during the winter time um, and I really didn't like that idea of pretty much being locked in into my room and just live for this train for these two training sessions a day. Um, so I got the idea to go to New Zealand without a coach and train there by myself for myself, and obviously also in my way. And the coaches obviously, yeah, clearly knew that um, and also knew what my way is and my way back there was already to do like 50% of the training specifically kayaking and the other part of it was yeah climbing 
a mountain expedition, whitewater kayaking, which is not especially slalom kayaking, um, and all that sort of stuff. And they really didn't like that idea. <laughs> yeah, it's just not 100% specific on canoe slalom, but still, uh, yeah, I think you you worked a lot for sure, but it was just not specific and the coaches always want to, yeah, to have an athlete which is training completely focused on canoe slalom. And so they told me, well, I told them that I want to do that. And they told me, yeah, if you're going to go to New Zealand, you're going to get kicked out of the national team and of uh, the military sports group. And that was obviously like quite hard words because back then, obviously I was living from it and it was my income and yeah, and my existence, you know, and everything I did, my pretty much my whole life was based around um, this thing. Um but yeah, as I thought more about it, I just said, well, but I'm never going to reach, going to get get rich with that. And it, the only way where I do it can be passion because otherwise I would do some other sort of uh, job and then have like way more free time and just go to the mountains and, or yeah, just do whatever I like for myself. But being a professional athlete um, in the Olympic circuit, you don't have really any free time. So I said, now for me, the only way this can work is if I can do it in a way that I love it. And that and that thing was possible for me if I could do all my other sports. So I told them, hey guys, sorry, I'm going to go to New Zealand. If you like it or not, kick me out, do it if you need to. And I went there. Um, in the end, I didn't got kicked out and I had a great time. Like I got there and straight away I went on a on a whitewater kayaking expedition. It was amazing. I was feeling so strong mentally and physically. I was training, but as I said, 50% of the time, only in the slalom kayak. I did some expedition in the Southern Alps, um, stayed up at the bivy on the glaciers, climbed some amazing peak with, um, with Evan, a guy I met on Facebook. <laughs> Um, but he's still around in Chamonix. He's living in Chamonix these days. Uh, and yeah, I came back and I had a pretty good season. Um, and the coaches, I guess, appreciated as well. And what they thought is that, yeah, now Matthias did whatever he had to do. And so in August, they were like, so yeah, in winter, we're going to go to Australia. And I was like, no way I'm going to go to Australia. I'm going to go back to New Zealand. I have my car there and I love it there. And they're like, well, you know how it is. You're employed, you're paid to do this stuff. And if you're going to go, you're going to get kicked out. And I was like, do whatever you need to do. I'm going to go to New Zealand. And there at that point, there was there were new coaches in the national team and especially a new president, which um, really didn't like me. And yeah, to be honest, he just tried to, to push me um, away from everything he possibly could. So, um, yeah, they made that reality and I got kicked out of the athletes sports group. They couldn't kick me out of the national team because I, I did the qualification criterias and I was within the best three with Mario and Felix. Um, but yeah, I had no more salary. How felt that moment for you, um, losing your job and staying there without a salary and just, yeah. How was it? Yeah, it, it was obviously a hard one. Um, I mean, I saved up some money because uh, I was living with my parents or we were living with our parents. So I didn't spend much money. Also, we were over 300 days a year. We were on the road and all the costs got covered um, apart from the salary. So I saved up some money. Um but yeah, and I, and I still wanted to race. I still wanted to race slalom. And But at that point, I had to pay everything by myself. And it is expensive to be on the road, as I guess everybody knows. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't easy. But on the other hand, I also started to feel a little bit free. And the more I thought about it, I was like, well, now I should really take advantage out of it. And I... I saved up some money and now this one year I had money for about a year. I I want to do exactly what I want and only what I want and only what I really want myself. Um, so at that point I started paragliding and I started to hang out quite a lot with our good friend Aaron Durgati, which is one of the world, um, world's best paragliders. And 
Yeah, so I got super hard into this mountain world and I uh, did so many tours with Aaron on our home mountain and also everywhere around. Um, we had a filming, bigger filming um, project. And um, yeah, after that year, I just realized that that is really what I want to do. I want to be in the mountains. I like filming um and i i just i like flying I, and i just i just really felt a love for multisports yeah but you you really didn't have any sponsors and yeah i was running out i was running out of money um, and i knew that so uh, it was a bit it was a bit of a struggle but then in december the new gopro came out and you it was actually you which told me yeah look there is this gopro million dollar challenge You can win uh, a lot of money um, straight off. It, you're not going to win a million dollar, but you're going to win a share of a million dollar, which is usually, or which was usually between uh, 15 and 25 or 23,000 um, dollars. So, yeah, you told me that, and I was like, you know, it, it's so far away from even thinking that I could ever win this thing. Yeah, I remember. I told you that uh, because I saw it some somewhere on on the website, but at the same time I thought like, yeah, right. I mean, you can you you can win a bunch of money, but it's almost impossible that you win. There will be so many people competing at it. So I personally didn't even try. I didn't even send in uh, a video to the million dollar challenge. But yeah, you did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um... I was uh, somehow, yeah, <laughs> I just I just tried, but I didn't have any idea or any plan. So we bought a, a Hero 8, um, which was the the newest model there. And then also the GoPro Max came out and we also bought a GoPro Max because it seemed to be um, nice. And it was the last day I remember it exactly of the GoPro Million Dollar Challenge. It was the 12th of January and I was out with Aaron um, in my still in my early days um my first one of the earlier tours with Aaron and and he took me to the home mountain we did some pretty <laughs> intense uh, free solo scrambling around on the home mountain and i just had a new wing pretty small wing for me at that at that uh, time and we came up to the mountain and it was the whole day it was a really long day it was super intense and um a lot of tension and uh emotion and we came up to the summit and then there was this west couloir which um is about like 100 meters 50 meters long and then it falls off a 200 meter cliff and aaron said yeah now we're gonna fly out there and i was like holy fuck all right uh let's do that and so yeah he took off first and i took off second and i was insanely nervous and I took off and I had my GoPro Max mounted here on, on my leg, on my knee. And it was like sticking out in front of me about like 40 centimeters um, farther out than my knee and on the same height of my eyes. And I was flying out and I saw Aaron like flying over this little saddle thingy and he justly made it. And I was slightly higher than Aaron. I was like, well, if Aaron makes it, I'm going to make it as well. And I flew over that thing as well. And in that moment, um, yeah, my emotions just went crazy. I was like, what the fuck? Like, and in that moment, I knew now I want to go for a million dollar challenge. And I came down to the valley, blah, blah. I watched the video. It was insane. Like the colors were so, so strong, like super amazing light, super dark blue sky. And oh, just, yeah, really a one of the most beautiful shots I ever took. Um, And yeah, then I spent the rest of the night by sending in those videos. And two weeks later, when the challenge came out, I remember we were both sitting there and like, looking, look, looking, bam, fuck, it was my shot in there. And I was like, oh my God. So I got, um, yeah, some money uh, for sure enough to spend another year in the mountains. And yeah, that's, that's how it kept going. Um, and yeah, then the year after, um, I I competed again. We were on a kayaking expedition in Pakistan. I remember that year you also tried already quite hard. You were still in the army. Yeah, I think we 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 made a deal and we both tried to win the million dollar challenge and we said we're gonna split up the money. Or what was was that already that year? It, it was that year, but we said on all the missions which we would do together. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. And then because we both 
really didn't believe that you could win the GoPro Million Dollar Challenge in Pakistan. Like everything is so dusty and just like, yeah, it, it is just, yeah, just a, a desert, pretty much a mountain desert. And so I guess you were trying quite a bit at home um, while I went to Pakistan. And then there was this one day in Pakistan, we were on the, on the Hunza River. Um, and the Hunza River is very special because it has a, like a, a lake on top. There was a huge landslide which formed the lake. So all the sediment of this glacier river um, sinks down and the water gets super like insanely clear and blue. And it was in autumn in November, I guess. And it was like an insane light just coming in from the five or six thousanders around. It, it was really mind-blowing um, light conditions and the water was shining and we bent down there. Everybody was so stoked. It was with the hero. So I guess way harder for us because we were used to mostly shooting the GoPro Max. And yeah, I sent in like 70 clips from this Pakistan trip and, and I won again. <laughs> so that was like year two and I was ready to go into year three um, uh, with enough funds to to do it another year. And yeah, yeah and that was how you managed to survive two years without sponsors and only doing what 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 you loved and for me i was still in the italian national team i was still a professional kayaker i would say but at this time i was already thinking a lot about quitting with kayaking um, because my passion for the mountains was was so strong and I think after you won the second time, the million dollar challenge, um, a few months later, I decided to to quit my job as a professional kayaker. And I was actually in the same situation as you uh, have been two years before. And I think, yeah, I think I, fight, I, I felt pretty much the same as you did, um, but I knew that it's possible to win the million dollar challenge. So I was like seeing a light at the end of the funnel. And so yeah, I think we both were super focused on winning that thing again. And especially for me, I mean, I also saved up some money. So I was, I was quite fine, but I knew that I gonna have to do something. Otherwise I need to, to look out for a job. And yeah, so we, a job yeah <laughs> exactly i mean it was it was a, a hard time like i mean it, it was not always easy for us to, to be a kayaker but still we had a good life i mean we only kayaked and rested pretty much and did some mountain stuff um and having a job like waking up at six in the morning and working until the afternoon having not much free time having not much free time mm, being used to train and to exercise multiple hours a day and then just sitting around yeah exactly i mean that was still something we both were a bit scared of i mean it if it has to be it has to be like there is there is no problem for us to do a proper job <laughs> but still um, we saw the chance to to live from from winning the million dollar challenge at least like in that stage where we where we have been there like we yeah we lived with our parents and we didn't yeah we didn't uh, need so much money to survive um yeah so we both decided to push really hard to win the million dollar challenge again um and i think that year we produced tons of insane clips yeah like terabytes stuff, of terabytes and we were really like if we not win this year uh, it's gonna be hard it's gonna be super hard and yeah i think it was the last day again the of, last of the sunny day yeah, yeah the least. last sunny day of the possible submission date yeah yeah that was crazy and yeah we have been up on our home mountain uh, went for sunset. We we planned to do a um, a combo shot. Like I was I was it was planned that I was flying in my paraglider, and you were snowboarding. And we tried to get really close and make like side by side shots with multiple angles, multiple GoPros. And yeah, then at some point we we managed to get a high five. Me on the paraglider, you in the snowboard. We even did try to do some backflips and and passes through the backflip and stuff like that. And 
And yeah, somehow we, ma we managed to both win with two different cameras, two different accounts on that same day. And uh, I think that was insane. Yeah, that was, that was really insane for us. And I also think that like you won it three times and there is not many people which won the million dollar challenge three times in a row. And I mean, I also won it. And I think that was also the point where sponsors started to, to see us, to see our content, to see our work, especially GoPro. I mean, GoPro already knew you pretty well after winning three times. Um, and I think that was a bit the start of us to get in into this uh, game where you start to look out for sponsors, where you start to work with brands. And then we we got invited by GoPro um, on this Cape Town trip. Yeah, um, that was like a trip in Cape Town where a bunch of amazing GoPro creators, um, all superheroes for us, obviously, um, were invited to go to Cape Town and shoot some yeah, quite a bit of content there. And it was pretty amazing. Um, just an amazing time, an amazing crew. And yeah, I need to say that there we have been already quite hard into the mountaineering game. I mean, for me, it was already three years that I've pretty much only been doing that, like extreme kayaking, doing expeditions, but also on the mountains. And I guess we, we had a bunch of sponsors there already, like been collaborating with Mammoth and and some ski brand and like yeah we, we we were covered a little bit at least like you wise yeah but we did not make any money i guess no we didn't really make any money apart from like some special content related stuff where we were mostly shooting and um but yeah i guess there in, in cape town we learned yeah a shit ton like so much about shooting and light and how to how to make amazing videos and everything and yeah, I guess that was really the starting point for us to become what we are doing today. Um, but yeah, one story I still want to hear from you is how, like, how was it for you in the national team and what's that story with uh, the Zufal North face? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fun one. Um, I think it was pretty much at the end of my kayak career. Um, I was super into the mountain game and it was a week before the World Cup in Ivrea and I went out with a couple of friends to ski the north face of the Zufallspitze, which is quite a big mountain in our area. And it was a phase at which I was looking already for a long time. I was super stoked to ride that line once. And yeah, I, I actually already blocked every guy from the Italian national team because I knew that if some stories appear on Instagram, um, that, that I'm getting in troubles because yeah, the national team was already like super angry with me that I did so, so much uh, stuff in the mountains for them. It was super dangerous what I did at this time. Like they couldn't understand how I approach mountains and everything for them. It was just like stupid, you know, it was just stupid. And yeah, we went on that mission and some of my friends made a story on Instagram and somehow the wife of the head coach saw that um, and I forgot to block uh, the head coach's wife. <laughs> no, but I, I guess they saw it on your maid story, which is uh, somebody coming from farther south, close to where the head coach lives. And I guess the wife of the head coach was following him, right? Yeah, like somehow that. it was, it's, it was a it's really, like crazy, a really weird, weird story, story right? but at the end, the head co coach uh, knew that I did that mission and I immediately got the call from the national team being super angry and saying, yeah, what the fuck, like this behavior is, um, they cannot tolerate it and they're going to punish me. And I was like, oh, okay, I mean, I did just a split board tour. It's a week before the race, but that's part of my preparation. And they were like, yeah, as a punishment, you are not allowed to take part at the trainings before the race. So you're not going to be in the national team before the race. 
Um, and you can also not uh, do the race, they said at first. And I was like, okay, um, yeah. I mean, the snow was really good. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to miss the World Cup, but it doesn't really matter for me. I can do some some other tours. And I was actually quite stoked. And then I got a call a few hours later. Yeah, um, you have to compete because probably there was nobody else which had uh, or which could was, have replaced you. Yeah, exactly. With this result. Um, so they still wanted me to compete at the race, um, but they still excluded me of the training camp before and actually this was the best which could have uh, happened to me because i was completely free before the race i was uh, going outside uh, enjoying the mountains uh, paragliding i think that was the time where i just started to paraglide and um, the world cup was in ivrea and ivrea yeah it's at the uh, beginning of Aosta Valley and that's a really nice place to to, to paraglide and to start paragliding so um, how, how did how did the national team like that <laughs> yeah once they realized um that it's actually uh, a favor or that, that that they actually um did a favor for me um excluding me from from the team uh they were obviously super angry um but yeah <laughs> it was it was fun it was a fun story and yeah yeah it, it it sounds like it yeah for sure it was sort of funny but in the end it would have been way nicer for everyone if this would have just harmoned like it would have been just in harmony but looking back at it i think that moment where i got kicked out of the army for being um too much in love with the mountains was the crucial and best moment of or like the crucial moment of my life yeah, for sure. I mean, as as you just said, I mean, these are these are funny stories, but still, at the end, um, it's never nice to yeah to feel the to, to feel that vibe to always need to explain to always um, need to have really good results, even better results than than the others to yeah to to say look uh, the way I'm training is not the wrong one and. Every every time you you fail, uh, it's always obviously because you didn't train as like like the others did. So that was for sure the reason why why I quit with kayaking. I just uh, didn't want to to have this wipe uh, and, and, and anymore. And and also the whole competition um, game, same as for you, it was not so interesting for me anymore. Uh, yeah, and then we have been out there free and on ourselves i would say but yeah i guess in that in those gopro million dollar challenge years i would call them like that the most i think the yeah one of obviously it was really important to earn some money and to keep going because our dad was not a hundred percent stoked that we are only going to the mountains and doing stuff like that from two sides like obviously um he didn't really and it is really hard to live from it but he didn't really saw the the perspective and also from parents sort of view that a lot of these sports involve risk um so yeah he i guess he would have preferred if he would have um gone to a normal job or stayed in the in the high performance olympic sports scene um and he would have not gave us money to obviously fair enough to just fuck around in the mountains pretty much so that was one side but i guess the really really crucial and important side of this gopro million dollar challenge years was um, what we took away from it and what we learned from it because that was really the fundamental base to be able to create um really appealing and emotional content in the mountains with simple ways with an action cam and nowadays i guess it is the crucial thing like brand the value for a brand usually comes when a brand in my opinion at least when a brand can connect their product and their brand to emotions and nowadays this works mostly with videos like when there is an emotional amazing video of somebody um doing something amazing um 
being in the mountain, sharing the love for the mountain. And this then gets connected with their product for a brand. This has a certain value. And I guess with the GoPro Million Dollar Challenge years, we really learned how to make content like that. And also focusing really hard on, on those mountain sports. I guess with our high performance Olympic sports scene mindset, which on the other side, I guess, was insanely crucial because we were just used to go all in and like to, like to push super, super hard, way harder than 95% of the people out there to improve, to get better in all sorts of sports. And this combined with, uh, with what we learned about filming and about light and about videos, um, I guess was the fundamental base to get where we are now. Yeah, I think this professional approach to sports, which we learned in our kayak career, um, really helped us then to to get better and um, yeah, to get better in all the other sports we we're doing, like in snowboarding, skiing, climbing, paragliding. We really we always had this professional mindset of training of of progress and i think otherwise we could never um progress that much as we did um for sure yeah. i mean we yeah we we got really into the outdoor sports we were pushing really hard and we were also pushing the video game like for because of the million dollar challenge we were pushing in every in every part and um then we also, I think we also started to to post stuff on Instagram, obviously, like all these million dollar clips, everything, all these activities we started to post on Instagram. But that was not the time where we grew a lot on Instagram, I, I, I remember. No, I guess our, um, yeah, yeah, a, a really important step of our, let's call it career, was our Norway trip and that was exactly like we were in Cape Town and it was mid of April it was a very bad winter in the Alps and you got a call from Krista Norwegian yeah, yeah Norwegian snowboard legend Krista Kopala telling you that there is a big storm coming up in the Lingen Alps and we I, I guess we like at least me I had super close to winter season I wasn't skiing for weeks before the Cape Town trip because there was just no more snow in April, which is insane, um, really unusual. And my skis were in the cellar. <laughs> and, but yeah, he told us, guys, if you want to do the crazy stuff up in England, now it's your time. Like, you're going to have to come up. So we got somebody to bring our skiing gear to the airport and we flew straight from Cape Town up to Norway for 10 days. Yeah, I remember I was talking to Krista a few times during the winter and I always told him, yeah, man, just, just tell me when, when the conditions are good up there and we will come. Like we are super stoked to ride some, some steep and gnarly mountains up in the Lingen Alps. And he was always, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you. And the call never came and uh, we had a super shit winter in the Alps. And yeah, as you said, the winter for us was already over. We, we went to Cape Town, we went into summer. We didn't expect that. And then this call from Krista came telling us, yo guys, now it's the time. And we were like, what? Now? It was end of April. I guess it was the 26th of April. Yeah. Like, like really late. And so yeah, I, we booked tickets for 10 days and we flew up there and it was a big storm. It was only storm. Yeah, like we, we went up and we had this idea in mind. We come up and then we straight go into the biggest and craziest phases and, and have our best time. And we went up and there was just no visibility, storms, avalanches. And we were sitting in our house for a few days and we were just like fuck what are we doing here this is it's also way too dangerous to go out and ride lines with these heavy snowfalls so yeah i guess we, I guess we <laughs> you remember we always went to this one couloir called oxahiget which is a super steep and narrow crack um on a north face or a north facing slope and it is so narrow that yeah like you had visibility in the storm um and also the avalanche danger was way, like way less than in obviously a big face like yeah at going least out there with with during a huge storm you can 
at home i would never go out in those conditions like snow rain storm <laughs> never yeah at least we thought that the couloir is so narrow that there is not gonna be an avalanche problem at least in the lower part like there were videos out there where people actually explained that the way to do it is to come from the top which we at that point couldn't do because the visibility to go around and in like repel in from the top was not there because it would have been way too scary to go up in those bigger phases with zero visibility um and yeah the normal way as they explained would be to repel in and release the top slap <laughs> yeah <laughs> like be on the rope and just release the top slap because there is usually a little slap on top but then one time we we climbed it up and it was a huge snowstorm and then we stopped at the middle of the couloir um, because it just felt not good good to us like the, the evidence situation just didn't feel well and i remember i was dropping in first and then the avalanche uh, released and uh, i think that was quite a moment where we realized that we maybe are in a mood where we're pushing the limits a little bit too hard um but still we we still haven't scored any lineup there and the 10 days were way over like we we extended our trip for a week already <laughs> and we still didn't score it, so oh, it, it was it was strange like we were pushing so hard and then we had to learn it on the hard way like we saw Nikolai and Krista and those boys being quite relaxed obviously it's i guess also way easier if you live somewhere and you have other things to do you have friends around you have like a lot of everyday stuff to do but we were really up there as always on the ski trip and the only thing we had to do and we wanted to do is ski and ski amazing big huge lines now now and every day and obviously that didn't work and and so um yeah we had to learn it on the hard tour because those boys were pretty much just chilling at home and consistently checking the weather and what we also learned is that up there the forecast you cannot really trust for more than maximum 24 hours but usually more something like 15 hours so it we started to like set alarms during the night for somebody to wake up and check the forecast because if there is like some spontaneous weather window coming up we are ready because we missed one of those were, I think, Nikolai and Krister skied the north face of Story Agavastin. It yeah. was the together, second descenter, I guess. Together with Evan. Um, it's a Norwegian guy as well. And we... Yeah, I did we, a tour with him the first day I was up in Norway. The second day I was up in Norway. Yeah. Um, you were not... You, you came two days later. I was um, sick. You were sick, exactly. Um... <laughs> And yeah, so we, because Christopher put us in contact um, with him because they were super busy shooting a bigger movie project. Um, and yeah, so we realized, damn, we missed the, this weather window. Like we did the godmother of all couloirs, the so-called godmother of all couloirs. In the bad visibility, it was like, we took like ages um, to get up there. We 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 really tried to find a boat um, somewhere uh to cross the fjord and then we finally found this old lady got a boat crossed the fjord like we spent like a 17 hour day and we came back down and we checked the weather again we were back in reception and we saw damn tonight it's the night like it's a weather window but we just came back for us from a 16 hour um long tour and i remember we were in the supermarket in linksated and we were like Fuck, what should we do what should we do no actually they skied the the south face of Yikavari. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. That was that day. And we were there, we were like, fuck, 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 fuck. We were missing out, we were missing out, but we were already so insanely tired. Yeah, we were completely fucked up yeah, by yeah. this whole mission, crossing the fjord in the storm, hiking up, getting washed out of the couloir. True, we got washed out, yeah. I, I remember I was completely against, um, against another mission. I think... Marco, we were with Marco Basso there. Um, he was quite, quite stoked for it, but he's he crazy. was very finished as well. Like. Yeah, yeah, he was he <laughs> was completely fucked up, but he's like 
yeah. a crazy guy which always wants to push and i think you were like kind of in between but at the end yeah. um we decided to to not take the weather window as i remember and but we yeah we learned from it that sometimes it's better to stay calm and wait for the right moment and then to yeah. push it be ready at home and like have alarms to check the weather forecast all the time uh, and once it comes up you just go all in you dig like you go up with the shit weather and be there before the weather window wait and then execute and yeah and, and then, that's what we did yeah that's what we did and that's also um where our whole um yeah social media game started i'd say yeah we went up to store jägerwastinden it was a big mission but i think it would be too long to explain everything of it but it was a huge tour uh, we made a movie out of it 22 hours and we had probably the best day in our lives um we had an amazing sunrise slash sunset um yeah because the sun almost didn't uh, go down anymore yeah it was the 15th of may i guess so mid may um, i think it was the 13th of oh, may 13th, because the yeah. 15th was the lax yeah ah, it true, was yeah it was mid -May. mid may and it just felt unreal and also the clips we took especially on the ridge they were completely crazy and yeah I mean, we had a really good time at the end. We scored two, three lines. I think also on the 15th, then we scored some yeah. amazing lines. Um, we came back home. We had this amazing footage. Um, we uploaded some videos uh, of Story Jägerwastinden to Instagram and our channels exploded. Like, I think we made a 100K followers in three months. Um, I remember every day I woke up, I checked my Instagram and I had like, I don't know, 5,000 followers more than, than the evening before. <laughs> it was like, what is going on here? Um, and it sounds, it sounds crazy, but I'm pretty sure that this was a, was probably the, the most important step for us to switch from gear sponsoring to to paid sponsoring for sure. I mean, we we just um, had amazing views on Instagram and everything, and uh, people uh, like yeah, we caught people's attention. We caught the brands' attention. Um, brands started to to look out for us and to see that we are doing really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. And then I guess we came home, and we were never really intentionally filming up there, like. Yeah, we learned all this stuff um, from our previous million dollar challenge years and, and stuff like that. But we were, we had like the only reason why we came to Norway was to ski some big, amazing lines um, and not making a movie. Um, yeah. But we still um, filmed a little bit with the yeah. drones, but just because the views and the lines were so amazing, we said, like, ah, yeah let's let's bring the drone i mean the line is so sick we we, we gonna make a drone video but everything else we didn't film we yeah. did not film anything around anything like, around yeah yeah and so in i guess it was in august we were like actually it is a shame to have this footage um just getting molded somewhere on hard drive and we need to make a movie out of it um and yeah there are new chapters started for us we um, we made this movie, 20, 22 hours Arctic Streamlines. Um, as, as I said, like that, that night there on Story Jägerwastinen was just insane. Like we, we came up there after six, seven hours of walking up in the storm and we digged ourselves into an igloo. Um, and the weather window didn't come up and didn't come up and we spent hours and hours in those igloo. And then at some point we decided to push, um, towards the summit, hoping that the weather would clear, but it, it did not and it was about midnight it was a north face and we knew that the sun is only going to be in the north face between 11 um in the evening and two in the morning because the sun up there 350 kilometers above the border circle pretty much makes a circle around um or the earth just makes a circle around the sun obviously but but yeah it seems like that the sun just goes from north um at midnight to east at nine to south at 12 and 
and so on and so on. So we really knew we need to ski that face before two in the morning, otherwise it's going to be in the shadow. And then I remember at midnight, suddenly from one second to the other, as it happened the first day in Norway um, with Evan, the whole sky cleared up and we, we, we walked our way or we climbed our way over the summit ridge towards um, the main summit and the drop-in point to the north face. Uh, it, was, it was just so unreal. And having this footage sitting around on our hard drives, um, yeah, was, was not ideal. Well, it was ideal, but it was not ideal to not make anything out of it. And, and so, yeah, we made this movie and then uh, look what came out. We went to the Freeride Film Festival with it. Yeah, now you can uh, see the movie on the Mammoth Swiss YouTube channel if you're interested. Um, but before it came to the Freeride Film Festival and also to some other film festivals. And yeah, we had a really good time touring around with the Freeride Film Festival tour bus. Um, so we basically toured through whole Europe pretty much to the German speaking part of Europe, I would say. Um, but we went to all big cities, to the cinemas, and we, we showed our movie together with some other movies and, and athletes. And yeah, we really had a good time. And I think that was also another point for us where we started to think about switching our current formats, like producing more of of longer format um, content, um, movies, uh, YouTube, and yeah, because our our adventures we have in the mountains, um, it's really hard to to tell them yeah. on Instagram in yeah. a ten second video. Um, yeah, so. you, you you cannot tell a twenty hour story or adventure in a nine second read. That just doesn't work. Yeah, but that's what we do. Like we barely go out there and and ski mini golf lines with ski lifts we, we especially back then we never did that like the only thing we did is like making huge ski tours and adventures and then apparently we would post a 9 to 15 second reel out of this whole mission which never um has the ability to tell the story or justice what we what we did and for me feeling this energy during the film festivals like having a real and living audience um, in front of you, which watches your movie and you're able to interact with it and talk to the people and, and feel this insane energy, which comes out of such a movie, even though it's maybe like 800 people and not like 30 million um, as an Instagram on some of the clips, it has um, such an amazing energy and power. And yeah, I guess that was the point for us where, we said we really, really want to go into this direction and and bring people closer to our adventures, bring the stories from the mountains back to the valley and out to you guys. And, and that's also, um, I guess, what we want to do with the podcast. Like mostly, I mean, today was obviously a special episode um, introducing ourselves and stuff. But what we really want to do is talking about um, some behind the scenes and and some stuff which happened on the mountain, which probably we didn't film or we, we cannot um, tell in a movie um, because there is, yeah, not just not, it's just not documented well enough and, and some really in detail stuff behind um, safety decisions and all that stuff. And that's what we want to talk about in this podcast, just talk about our adventures as well and parallel to our new YouTube series, Alpine Worlds, which we are on episode two right now with episode three, four, and five dropping really soon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, or well, what you think? I mean, it's, for us, it's quite hard to start with YouTube. Uh, we have a huge Instagram audience, I would say, um, but I think YouTube is just a, it's just a different, a different audience. And we first thought, if we're going to start with YouTube, um, we just post some stories on Instagram and everyone <laughs> will watch our videos. But actually, it's it's quite a work and um, also a little bit. And I guess also our approach that we really want to um, have. Uh, I mean, yeah, coming from all this um, filming and 
and and stuff where we were really focused on light and on the aesthetics of the picture. I guess we have really high expectations into our episodes. We want to have yeah. a really high production standard, which obviously yeah is is quite a lot of work and also involves quite a bit of money to to get that done because we want to go to the mountains and not edit every day week by week. Yeah, we want to ski that's why we are here and that's why we are doing what we are doing um and yeah i guess for youtube you would really need to post something every week and with this production standard it's going to be hard but i guess still possible and i see the value in the quality and even though if it's not going to get um millions of views or hundred thousands of views or fifty thousand of views um it's a, an amazing um piece of content there which i'm sure we will also remember and watch when we are older also, also for ourselves exactly also for ourselves and i have to say i'm super stoked um, because at the beginning i was not sure how the the filming process doing our tours will be and if it will be like stressful or boring or if take we will, away the fun of it exactly take away the fun of it but I think we found a really cool way to to capture our adventures by just basically just doing our tour, bringing uh, one or two filmers, and they just they just film what they can, and we just focus on our tour, and we just do what we do all the time. Um, so even if there sometimes is is something missing. Um, the big advantage of it is that that it just it's pretty much all real. Yeah, it's and all it's real, and it doesn't feels like filming. Exactly. We just do our tour, but at the end, we still have amazing pictures, and we have a story which, as you said, we can also watch in a few years and remember that day. Um, I'm super happy that this works out that well, and I'm also super stoked on our filmers. Um, they're such um, Good people and they, great alpinists. Great alpinists, especially Mario. He just—I guess—he just passed his um, Mario Capelli. Uh, he just passed his uh, mountain guide yeah. um, exam, like the exam that you can start to become a mountain guide, not the final exam. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see where this all goes. But I guess for us, um, it always works to follow our passion and to really do what we want to do. And that's what we are doing right now as well. And so far it worked out great. I'm <laughs> just looking forward to where it all goes. Yeah, I think today we already talked a lot and I would, yeah, I think we can talk. Wrap it up here. Yeah, oh. wrap it up here and then talk about our YouTube, our next YouTube episodes in the next podcast. I think that'll be super cool. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for all tuning in. And I guess that's also some amazing words to finish it off. Um, follow your passions, do what you love. And in the end, it, it apparently will pay off. Sometimes it's hard to believe, but for us it did. And I'm sure for many people it can. So go out there, go to the mountains, do what you love and it will be worth it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was great to to have a talk and see you next time.